Hello, my name is Reverend Jodie Stoll. In the March 2020 lockdown due to COVID-19, I was in one of the few million households who were required to shield because I live with someone who is clinically extremely vulnerable. It's almost a year since that happened. Can you believe it? In that time, we've been under various regulations and we are now in the third lockdown. And for me, back to shielding. The way that I see the world and make sense of my faith in it is now fundamentally impacted by this whole experience. And so this is my podcast, Shielded. You're very welcome here. So welcome back to this podcast. Series three is six weeks um, where there's a new podcast every Friday. And in this series, I'm going to be in conversation with my guests about faith in a time of COVID, uh, particularly thinking what it's looked like for them in the last year. Uh, Why on earth they keep going and stick with it, uh, stick with God and Jesus and the whole shebang when life is crap. My guest today is Margaret Pritchard-Houston, and uh, I'll let her introduce herself. So uh, we're recording now. Um, Thank you, Margaret, for joining me this morning. Um, uh, I hope you're well. Can you tell us a little bit um, about yourself, introduce yourself to us? Um, Of course, thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm Margaret Pritchard-Houston. I trained as a primary school teacher, what feels like now ages ago, and worked in a variety of schools, both permanent and supply, for a while. And then I realised I wanted to, um, to be much more creative and to get to know the children over a longer period of time. So I switched to being a children's and families worker at a church in West London, just off Notting Hill Gate. Um, where I got to really be a part of children's lives for for a very long time and see them grow up and be part of the extended church family. And that was an absolute honor. Um, and then the role of diocesan children's mission enabler came up in the Diocese of St. Albans. Um, and it was too good to pass up. Um, so I very reluctantly left um, parish ministry and went to do that where I've been for the last five years now. Um, And I've also written a book called Beyond the Children's Corner, which looks at how we make our churches a place where there's a culture of welcome and inclusion for people of all ages. Brilliant. Wonderful. And your accent isn't local, I would say. (laughs) No, though, if I talk to someone for five or 10 minutes, it will start shifting. Um, I grew up in New Haven, Connecticut, um, in the US, where we're mostly known um, in order of importance for the world's best pizza and Yale University. Brilliant. Oh, what kind of pizza is it? Well, we had a lot of Neapolitan immigrants in the mid 19th century um, who brought over their traditional cooking. And so there's a lot of um, brick oven pizza and really thin crust and proper toppings. And it's become its own its own little regional New Haven thing. And we consistently top the list of the best pizza in the U.S. So there's my tourism pitch. Yeah, only a couple hours from New York. Go to New Haven and have some pizza. Brilliant. And are you missing it at the moment? Um, Well, I've been in the UK for 15 years now. So London is very much home now. Um, But there are days when I'm looking at pictures of snow in Yorkshire while we're down here in London with none. And I I do miss New England. I miss the snow and the pizza. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I'm a snow, so I'm from Scotland. Although people often think I'm from the States or from Canada or something because my accent's nomadic and changes with whoever I'm talking to, but there's a lilt there. Um, but yeah, there, um, the the snow, I, I'm looking very, very jealously at those those snowy pictures of, of people a little bit further north than us. Um, so yeah, so London's your home. And yeah, I would say it's definitely um, my home as well. We're not too far from each other. Um, uh, so I, I'm wondering, last year, when the conversation around the virus started happening, um, I know that for me, it was a fairly swift, um, you know, a matter of, you know, a week, um, you know, maybe a little bit longer than that, where I went from being okay traveling on public transport to thinking, you know, actually maybe I will just take my car in and find a parking space in central London. And those kind of things were on the agenda. Um, what was it and when was it that you realized that COVID was actually gonna be a thing and it was gonna significantly impact how we did things and how life was? Well, it's it's very strange because we were actually my partner and I, we were in New York the first week of March. Wow. Um, his, his birthday is the first week of March. And so we were there for a holiday. Um, and so on, on the 3rd of March, we're jammed into a Broadway theater with hundreds of other people and we're going out to restaurants and we're traveling on the subway and we're hearing these little bits on the news about the first cases appearing in New York. And we're sort of realizing this might be a, a bigger broader geographically thing than yeah. than similar outbreaks in the past like SARS and all that um, and then we flew back and they're taking our temperature and asking us if we've been to China in the last couple of weeks and there was this sort of self-consciousness among everyone of isn't it weird that we're doing this now um, and then within a week of coming back I remember it vividly there was about one day um, when suddenly kind of all of social media went from, oh, we're, isn't this funny how we're washing our hands and singing happy birthday and making memes about that to, oh my goodness, maybe we should be talking about lockdowns. Mm -hmm. And then it was, you know, suddenly working from home, but still planning clergy conferences for September. And then I think it's been an ongoing process of discovering how long-term this is. And we were saying at the start in my office, this is a marathon, not a sprint. Don't burn yourself out. You need to be there for people over the long-term. But I think we were thinking months back then, and now we're looking at sort of coming up on the year anniversary of it. But I do remember that one week in March when suddenly we went from global travelers to, to staying at home, which was complete whiplash. Yeah, and I, it, <clears throat> it is a, it's a major kind of, it was a culture shock then, but I think I feel myself that I'm in even more culture shock now. And especially when I start to think about, because, um, you know, where this podcast is called Shielded. It's partly based on the fact that we've been a shielding household. And, um, you know, I was thinking, what will it be like to go in a shop? Or, you know, not even global travel, but, you know, I, I'd quite like to, you know, go on holiday to, to Scotland or something. <laughs> you know, am I, you know, what's that going to feel like? Is it, is it going to, is it going to take longer to come out of this kind of psychologically than, than I had realized, I think. Yeah, and I think 
on the one hand, it shows it shows how resilient humans are and that we can get used to big changes and see them as as fairly normal. Um, but that's not always a good thing. Um, I notice even very simple, basic things um, now feel like a big deal and not yeah. not because of any conscious fear of catching COVID or of spreading COVID, but just because I've become so unused to it. Um, you know, if I have to load up the car and go somewhere, it, it's not a routine I'm used to anymore. And so it's more anxiety inducing because now I need to be thinking about stuff that just came as, as natural before. Have I got, you know, my phone to tell me the route? How, am I wearing shoes even? Um, <laughs> you know, and do, do I know where I'm going? Do I have all my driving reflexes back? Um, and those are for small things like going to Sainsbury's um, or what used to be a small thing. And so things about how, how we get on a plane and how we go out to the theater and how we get on the, the underground again um, and how we, how we hug people and spend time inside with groups and go to the pub, all of that is now no longer normal and will feel different and weird and we won't be accustomed to it anymore. Um, and so I remember when I when I went home to the US the first few times after moving here, um, I heard of a thing called reverse culture shock, mm. um, where all the things that used to be normal to you now you've spent time in another culture are foreign. Um, and so much of of being American now feels foreign to me. Yeah. Um, when I go back to the States, of course, it's changed since I've been gone because time happens. Um, but things that used to be normal, cultural American stuff now feel foreign to me. And I think that's something we're probably all going to experience to some degree, hopefully over the next six months or so, as we start to go um, more, more out and more together. Yeah, absolutely. So um, it's been a strange year. Um, there are things that we've we rapidly had to change last March and obviously we're looking at maybe you know coming back into doing things um, <clears throat> that we'll have to get used to doing as you say we'll have to get used to doing again but what has your faith looked like in the last year <clears throat> how, how has it been expressed both in your ministry because obviously you've got that kind of role um, going on you've had to deliver things you've had to move things I'm guessing onto different platforms um, uh, but also in your kind of personal faith how has that all shifted and how have you how have you made how have you managed it and how maybe have you kind of felt you haven't managed it I don't know <laughs> um, well I'm going to talk about the ministry side and then the personal side in in ministry um Obviously, the way that it's been done has changed. I'm delivering training over Zoom now, which means I can't get adults around a table playing with Play-Doh and Lego and encouraging them to be childlike and creative that way. So I've had I've had to find creative ways of getting people to be creative. Um, and what churches need has shifted. Um, so where before I would be working with a church for a long-term plan of... Um, improving their ministry with children and families or changing their ministry with children and families or changing their church's culture. Um, so it was very broad and very strategic and very much organizationally focused. 
now often what churches have needed is very short term, very resource oriented and very much what do we do right here right now I can't even think beyond the next three months um, and so that's been the major shift it's gone from strategy to resource creation which in a way I'm fine with because I love that side of things mm. um, and there's been a lot of um, a lot of opportunities for pastoral conversations with people where before you may have been in a room being very formal and they were very much in vicar role and you were very much in diocesan officer role and now we're in each other's living rooms on a screen and we're all kind of Going, oh, I like your paint on your wall. <laughs> yeah, what's your dog's name? Um, and we're, we're all kind of dealing with this, this crisis and this shift. And I think some people that's allowed them to be more open and vulnerable. And we've actually got to know each other better and support each other better, which I think will be helpful over the long term. Um, but now we're in this weird place where we've been here long enough that we are kind of ha having to make long-term strategic decisions while also still in crisis. And that's a tough place for us all to be in. Is that possible, um, do you think? Uh, I think we're trying because um, people want to have some kind of idea of what we'll look like when we come out um, and to start making decisions with their churches about what you pick up again and what you stay dropped and what you've started doing that you're gonna keep doing and what you can drop um, and how you're gonna do things differently based on what you may have learned over the last year about yourself and your community and your congregation and everything. I don't, I don't think we're gonna go back to just the way we were. Um, and so people are starting to go, okay, assuming we're gradually moving out of this in six months, what does that look like? Um, and what's the damage and what have been the unexpected treasures that we've found. Um, so those conversations are starting to be had. Um, but who knows, something could happen next week that then changes it all. Um, from a personal point of view, um, I've actually found the last year very helpful for my faith. Um, and I realize I'm probably unusual in that. Um, I, to some extent, it's been the extended <laughs> hermitage <laughs> that I really needed, um, and didn't have the chance to get, um, I, I have had, as, as you know, Jody, but, but many people listening to this, um, won't, I've had a very rough decade personally, um, including two stillborn sons, um, Isaac and Ezra. And through it all, I did not take as much time as I should have. Um, I pushed myself to get back out and to get going again and to not, you know, you, you've, you, you can feel a certain pressure not to let this get you down and to, to carry on and to be the hero. Um, and that wasn't good for me. Um, and I also had a pretty toxic theology of self-sacrificial love that meant you were supposed to just work yourself to the bone um, to, to do everything for everyone um, and to rescue everything that needed to be rescued in the whole world. Um, and I had burned out pretty hard, but I was still going even when I was burned out. And being forced to drop that public face 
and to go fairly in and deep um, and to have this fairly cloistered world. Mm -hmm. um, that actually was enormously helpful for me. Um, and to just be in this quiet place where I wasn't as on as I, as I had been. Um, I wasn't as public as I had, but I didn't have to keep that, that sort of cheerful, certain leader who can inspire others on as much as I had before. Um, that was rationed and it came through a screen. And so I could just collapse immediately afterwards. Um, and so for me personally, I've found that this has kind of been a long Lent in a good way in that it's allowed me to turn over the soil yeah. um, and to break up the clods and to put, to continue this metaphor as it gets gross, to put mulch and fertilizer down and to plant <laughs> yeah. seeds um, and all of that stuff that you kind of need to go in to do. I was suddenly given the space and the quiet to do. Yeah. Um, and I realized that is, that is a privilege in many ways. And many people haven't had that luxury, um, but that's just how, how the chips fell for me in this particular situation at this particular time. Absolutely. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's really interesting and good to hear that, you know, I think we're, um, you know, a lot of um, people's experience of being in lockdown may be framed more negatively. Um, and I don't mean that in a negative way, but just in the, the things that they've lost, you know, that they're, that they're doing, but that actually there are some situations for, you know, so for you, where actually there's, there's been something that you've gained in, in sort of being forced into, as you Absolutely. say. Absolutely. Um, and it gave me the space to to feel again because I always would go okay well I'm feeling pretty rubbish but I've got six workshops I need to do and three meetings I need to have and so I, I don't have the luxury of feeling right now I've just got to put on the the professional face and carry on and here I could just feel like um, if I needed to and I could I could cry if I needed to and I could mope around and be just angry at the world if I needed to I had more space for that and I think it also helped that this wasn't the first, this wasn't my first rodeo. Um, you know, when you've, when you've had to come home from your baby's funeral twice, you have shouted at God plenty of times before. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't as big a shock as I think it could have been if I hadn't had some of those other experiences. Yeah, yeah. Um, so obviously you, you um, sharing about Isaac and Ezra and, um, you know, and other things that have been difficult in the last decade. Um, so I wanted to ask everyone, you know, that, that I'm talking to really why, why you carry on with Jesus and God when life is shit. Um, and, and obviously I'm thinking particularly, you know, for people who've been experiencing that over the last year, you, you have said that it's just a reminder that actually life can be shit at any time. <laughs> it's not, you know, sort of limited to COVID times. Um, but yeah, so for you, maybe over the last decade, but also over the last year, how, how do you hang on to your faith? Why do you hang on to your faith? Um, 
I think part of it, and I don't mean this in any flippant sort of way, part of it is a habit. Um, and I think that's what that's one reason why traditions and rituals and regular patterns of worship are good, because then that's there to hold us when we can't do it ourselves of our own initiative. Absolutely. Um, you know, when you really just aren't feeling it, that's still there to hold you up, that scaffolding. Um, so part of it is just, this is what I'm used to. And so I carry on and it's still there. Um, also, it's, it's really hit me um, over the last year how important it is that so much of the Hebrew Bible comes out of exile. Mm. Um, you, I sort of knew that in an intellectual way before, and in times when when I was struggling, the I, you know the imagery of Jerusalem being destroyed, but the promise it will be rebuilt, and the people being scattered, but the promise that they will come home again, mm. um, that that had been extremely meaningful to me at times before, but I think it never hit in such a literal way as this last year. And so you see Isaiah and you see the Psalms and you see, um, ironically, the book of Ezra um, in a very, very different way when you are experiencing what is really in many ways an exile and a casting away from home, even though you are at home. Um, and so knowing that that's in there um, that that's included. And I, I, I wasn't raised with a sentimental view of the Bible. It was always, this is a story that includes hardship and it includes pain and it includes suffering. And at the heart of it is the cross, mm. is death. Um, and that through death and through the battle with death, we find a new life that is stronger than death. Um, and so at different times in my life when horrible things have been happening you have to go through the experience of taking that from an intellectual thing into an emotional thing because you can know that and then you can experience it and it's a very different thing mm. um so i think there has to be a process of shouting at god um and being permitted to shout at god is also another thing that's that's kept me here if I hadn't been allowed to do that, I would have walked away several mm. times um, to go, okay, what are you playing at here? What's going on? What's, what's the plan? What's the situation? Um, what am I misunderstanding? And what are you just not saying very clearly here? Um, and why is it this way? And where's the hope? And the thing that you're telling me to do seems wrong and how do we work that out and that back and forth and that questioning um that is very very jewish and that i think christians are uncomfortable with but i think we need to get comfortable with it because it's it's there throughout both the hebrew and the new testament um and also seeing seeing the cries for justice that come through the scriptures, um, seeing an inability to be satisfied with the world the way it is, um, knowing that our cries against injustice and our despair at what seems like the complete random cruelty of the natural world um are part of a long tradition 
um, that's immensely helpful as well. Um, watching the Black Lives Matter protests last summer um, and knowing that Jesus was a colonized minority and a victim of state violence mm. and that that's included in the story. Um, At the heart. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Has been hugely important. Um, and also at the other end of the spectrum, just the small kindnesses that people do for each other, often in overwhelming circumstances, um, seeing that love shine out um, and knowing that even tragedy and violence and illness and loss and injustice can't extinguish that entirely. Um, that's kept me going. And sometimes I do wonder if I will keep going. Um, and I don't think we have to know the answer to that because faith is a journey and sometimes it feels really strong and secure and sometimes it feels really embattled and that's okay. Um, and I don't think we need to hold ourselves to incredibly rigid standards of perfection and certainty and virtue and um, peacefulness and serenity and all of that. Um, I think if we if we start to feel guilty about not being sort of the perfect, serene, hopeful Christian, then then we just put more pressure on ourselves. That isn't helpful. Mm. And there's something about just um, meeting meeting God and being who we are in this moment. And and if we're so um, pinned on a, a future moment which hasn't yet actually happened then it can it can um, sort of skew the experiences that we're having right now which are and um, are the only thing that that are <laughs> the present <laughs> is the only thing that is um, in that sense um, absolutely and if it's in the if it's in this moment which it feels a bit shit then that is that is true and real and needs to be um seen and found meaning in this place definitely and um I, I used to hate the lilies of the field reading because it felt like Jesus just saying glibly oh don't worry everything will work out fine and it doesn't, does it, Jesus? Um, and then a very wise person I know who had been through recovery from addiction said, actually, I read that passage as saying one day at a time. Yeah. That you don't have to think about what you're going to do three, six months from now. You don't have to have it all figured out. It's okay. You just need to get through today. You just need to figure out today's problems. He's not promising everything will be fine. He's just saying that's that's future Margaret's problem. That's future Jody's problem. <laughs> present Margaret, present Jody just needs to do today. Brilliant. Oh, thank you, Margaret. Thank you for your time with me and uh, sharing deeply with us today. Um, I'm really thankful for all that you've had to share with us. Thank you so much for having me and for giving me the opportunity to think about these things. 
to end our um, time together today, I thought it would be good to read about Elijah's story um, and face the reality that life can be a bit shit sometimes. Um, but meeting God in the place where you are is still a possibility. So this is from 1 Kings chapter 19. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a solitary broom tree. He asked that he might die. It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the broom tree and fell asleep. Suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Get up and eat. He looked, and there at his head was a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came a second time, touched him and said, Get up and eat, otherwise the journey will be too much for you. He got up and ate and drank. Then he went in the strength of that food for forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. At that place he came to a cave and spent the night there. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Let others know about it and listen on Fridays for new episodes, which you can get from Anchor or Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify, among other platforms. Go well into your day and may you come again soon to these doors. Mm-hmm.